Hello, and welcome to Dressing Room Talk. Today's episode is Timeless Broadway with Greg Barnard. Michaela, would you like to introduce our guest today? Greg Barnard, aka my Uncle Greg. Please say hello to our listeners. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so this is the first podcast I've ever done, and I can't tell you how excited I am. But uh, I am Michaela's Uncle Greg, not by blood, but I think I, I like to take responsibility for Michaela's uh, love of theater because I shared my love of theater with her. Um, I've been a theater geek since uh, I can't remember when, since probably the age of three or four. I'll give you I'll give you an idea of how I got into theater. I mean, my my grandmother lived in White Plains, which is just north of New York City. And my mother would take us down there when I was real young and I would go back into my grandmother's uh, second bedroom and she had an old record player and she had two albums next to that record player. One was Judy Garland live at Carnegie Hall and the second album was Hello Dolly with Carol Channing, the original Broadway cast. And I would listen to those two albums nonstop when I was probably three or four in the late 60s. And um, I just got hooked on Broadway show tunes. And um, I would listen to those all the time. And then, uh, you know, I got into school. And then when I was in like junior high or seventh grade, we had an English teacher who was also our drama teacher. And I got into this group called the Young Performers Guild. And all we did was shows. We did shows all year long, show after show after show in school. We did them in the community. And it was all kids. And um, my drama teacher's name was Mr. Brown. And Mr. Brown kind of instilled theater and drama in all of us. And I just started doing theater and I absolutely uh, got the bug and it didn't go away. And, um, you know, I can't remember a time that I wasn't doing a show from the time I was in seventh grade till the time I graduated from high school. I mean, I was always doing a show all year round and going to New York to see shows. I mean, I remember the first show I ever saw on Broadway, my grandmother, I went down to see her in 1977 and she took me to see Dracula and it was at the Martin Beck Theater, which is now the hmm. Al Hirschfeld where Kinky Boots was. And she took me to my first play and my old Julia played Dracula and I was just like enthralled. I mean, it was the first show I ever saw. And then fast forward to 1979 and Mr. Brown, our drama teacher, took the whole Young Performers Guild to New York City to see a musical. And uh, we stayed in Hoboken, New Jersey at a college in these dormitories. And we all went in and, and, uh, and we saw a show. The show we saw was Peter Pan at the Lunfontaine Theater and Sandy Duncan was Peter Pan. And we, we had tickets in the first row of the second balcony at the Lunfontaine. And uh, Michaela, you'll remember, that's where we saw Beauty and the Beast when you were like eight years old. And mm. at the end of Peter Pan- I think that was my first show actually that I saw on Broadway. That was your first show that you saw on Broadway. Was with you. A absolutely. Yep. Hey, hey. Um, but in that Lunfontaine <laughs> Theater, Sandy Duncan came out to do her curtain call as Peter Pan. And they flew her right out over the audience, and she came up to almost the second balcony. And I remember reaching my hand out and almost touching her. And, I mean, from that moment on, I couldn't go down to New York and see enough shows. And, I mean, it's just been a – it's been an obsession of mine. It's an obsession I share with everybody I know. And uh, as we start to talk through this podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a lot more. But that's kind of how I got the bite and how I got the bug. 
And uh, it's just been a lifelong thing. And this last year uh, has been probably the most difficult year of my life because I didn't realize how many shows I went to. I mean, I go to I go to shows all the time. And without theater in my life, it's just been uh, such a void. So uh, that's kind of how I got there. And, you know, as we talk, I can tell you more about I've got so many great stories of things I did and uh, people I've seen and people I've met and experiences I've had over the years that uh, they just come out as I talk. So that's kind of where I came from. Yeah. So before we get into all of these stories that I know that Grace and I want to hear and I want to rehear and I want our listeners to hear, I want them also to get, you know, a window into who you are, like without theater and what you do and kind of like your personhood. And tell us about like who you are without theater and like what you do and like, you know, give give us a little window into that. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I mean, you would have think I would have gone to uh, college for theater or some sort of something in the entertainment business. And when Michaela came into my life was when I went to uh, I went to Fredonia, where Michaela's from. And um, I was a business major. Uh, my father owned a car dealership. And, uh, you know, I thought I need to go into the car business because that's my family business and that's what I need to do. But I always has this underlying love for theater. So I went to uh, Fredonia for business. Um, I did get involved in a little bit of theater. I was on stage crew. Um, I did a couple of things. And then my senior year, I got a concentration in arts administration. So I got a business degree with a concentration in arts administration. But my whole intent when I got out of college was to go work for my father in the auto industry. And we owned a bunch of different dealerships. And that's really what I did. And, um, you know, how my life was defined as an adult. And the theater ended up being a hobby that I kind of did you know, on the side. So I worked for my dad for about 30 years and now I'm a consultant uh, and I go around and I train uh, managers and salespeople in car dealerships. So uh, this is kind of my second career after we sold all of our stores. It was really a sales and a business career that I was in most of the time. But when I was at Fredonia, I met Michaela's father. He was my dorm director and I met Michaela's mom and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with them and I got very close with them after I left college. And then uh, I'm actually Michaela's sister's godfather. And I kind of uh, shared my love of theater with them for, uh, uh, for their whole childhood and hopefully into their adulthood. And um, I remember <laughs> one of your podcasts, you talked about an Uncle Greggy weekend in New York. And, I, and that's my favorite thing to do is to go to New York and go <laughs> see as many shows as I can in as short a period of time. So that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm all about. Cool. What's the most shows you saw in one of your weekends? Well, normally a normal weekend in New York would be get down there on Friday night in time to see a nighttime show. And then uh, we go see that show and maybe go out to a club like Don't Tell Mamas or something afterwards and maybe sing or listen to singers until two or three in the morning and then go to bed and get up the next day, have a nice little brunch. And then we go see a matinee. And then in between the matinee and the evening show, we go see an evening show. And then um, uh, we go to bed and then we see a matinee on Sunday. And if we're lucky enough to get a second show on Sunday, a seven o'clock show, that would be five shows in three days. One time, I got to tell you about this. One time I went to see Xanadu at the matinee and we had tickets to see Mary Poppins at night. 
and Xanadu was performed without an intermission, so it was only 90 minutes long, and it started at 2 o'clock. So Xanadu got done at 3.30, and Forbidden Broadway just opened another show, and there was a 4 o'clock show. So we ran from Xanadu to Forbidden Broadway, and that went from like <laughs> 4 to 5.30, I think, and then we grabbed a quick dinner, and we got to Mary Poppins by 8 o'clock. So I mean, that weekend we saw six shows in three days, so... That's a normal Uncle Greggy weekend. <laughs> wow. That's a very normal Uncle Greggy weekend. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. Sounds like a lot of running. Need some good shoes. You do need some good I've shoes. I've had quite the Uncle Greggy weekend. I think I feel like I've had like more than four for sure. And that was like that installed my love for the city and totally he just said he deserves all the credit for sparking the interest in theater for me. Like when I I'll never forget when I saw Beauty and the Beast. And meeting one of the forks backstage who was like your friend or a friend of a friend, right? What's that story? Please start with that story. He was in the Young Performers Guild. His name was David Wood. Right. And uh, he was actually, um, he was in the original company of Beauty and the Beast. And he he left the show and started a career in uh, in teaching. He was, a, he was a school teacher. And when he was 40 years old... One of the guys in the cast broke or needed knee surgery or something, and they called David, and they asked him if he would stand in for him for like uh, six weeks while he had this knee surgery done, and David was teaching school, so they let David, he said he couldn't do the matinee on Wednesday, uh, and that was the only show he couldn't do, and they had a swing go in for him, but he ended up doing the show for six months uh, while teaching full-time all day long during the week, so... uh when I took Michaela, I think you were, I think you were seven or eight years old when you saw that. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And uh, we went down for Easter. It was Easter weekend. And it was actually, I can tell you the year. It was 2004 uh, because Wicked had just opened in October of 2003. And we saw Beauty and the Beast on Saturday night. And then uh, we saw Wicked on Sunday afternoon at the matinee. And that's another story. Yes. It's, please tell that. All right. Well, well. first of all, uh, my friend David was in Beauty and the Beast and he got his house seat. So we were in like the fifth row and we went down, we checked into the Marriott Marquis and we're all ready to go. We met David for dinner, which you thought was the coolest thing in the world. Oh, the coolest thing uh, ever. Because yeah. uh, we, got to, we got to meet him and then you got to go see him in the show that night. So we met him at that pizza joint right next to the St. James in the theater, um, the theater store. There was, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Johnny's, it was called. It was a pizza joint. And we met David there and we had a great dinner with David. And then we went to the show. And I remember you sitting next to me, Michaela. And uh, as soon as you saw him come out on stage, you lit up like a Christmas tree. And that's what <laughs> gives me like chills is just seeing somebody else enjoy theater and sharing theater with somebody. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the show got over. And I'll, uh, what was the girl's name from the Disney Channel that was Belle? Do you remember her name? Oh, Christy. Christy Carlson. Yes. Christy Carlson had just started as Belle, and all these little teeny bopper girls were standing by the stage door, and everybody wanted to get to see her. And David opened the stage door, and he saw us standing out on the street, and he waved us in. And I'll never forget it, Michaela. You were dressed in your Easter dress, and your shoulders just got big, and they went back. Oh, boy. And you just walked right through that whole crowd and walked right up the stairs into that stage door. And then he took us backstage. Oh, God. And he showed us everything. And it was just, it was the coolest thing 
that you'd ever see. And just watching you and watching Corinne on that stage, and he took us and he let us get into all the sets. And, uh, you know, that's the stuff that is just stuff that you can't even replace. Magical. I mean, it is magical. It is magical. And the whole reason we went on that trip is another story because you and Corinne freaked out because you we had tickets to see Wicked in the summer, and you thought after the Tony Awards that Christian Chenoweth and Adina Menzel would leave Wicked. Mm. So I think Corinne or you started crying one day, we're not going to see them together. It's going to be horrible. One of them's going to oh, be gone. Yeah. So we bought tickets for Easter Sunday, and your dad still never paid me for those tickets. I said I would buy your and Michaela's tickets, and your dad <laughs> was going to buy his and Lori's tickets, but I bought all the tickets. And we bought good tickets, so we had really good seats. And we went on Easter Sunday and we get dressed. We get up on Easter Sunday morning. We went over to St. Patrick's Cathedral and then we get to Wicked and I walk up to the Gershwin Theater and I look inside and I see on the sign, the role of Adina Menzel will be played by Eden Espinoza. So Adina Menzel was out. Mm. I mean, the Jewish girl was out on Easter Sunday. I mean, go figure <laughs> And I, you you threw a fit in the lobby of the Gershwin Theater that oh, yeah. I will never forget. You started screaming, she's not in it, but, and, and you're just, you yeah. went nuts. And this really tall girl that was selling programs came over and she and she waved you over and she uh, she kneeled down so that you could talk to her. And we didn't know what you were saying to her. And then you finally came back over to her and she goes, that girl over there selling programs just said that Eden Espinoza this is the first time she's ever done the role, and she's really good. And then you, and then it was all over, and you were fine. And we went and saw Eden and Kristen uh, do Wicked. And, <laughs> and did Eden blow the roof off of the Gershwin Theater? Oh yeah, Eden's incredible. She was she yeah. was awesome. And and then we became Eden Espinosa fans after that. We truly did. Yeah, yeah, we followed her career all the way. Yeah, that's a little window into young Michaela. Everyone, it's what a treat for you all. Hmm. Uh, so let's talk about. These standout stories, and I know that's extremely hard to narrow down for someone like you who's just been, you should be in like the Guinness Book of World Records for like seeing as many shows and like meeting as many famous people. And Do you know how many times I've seen Wicked? Go ahead. 31 times. I saw two tours <laughs> in the last couple of years, and that was 30 and 31. And it's always because I'm taking somebody that's never seen it before. Unreal. Right. Well, yeah, that'll be me, right? That's what you guys said you would do with me because I haven't seen it either. Well, the thing I like about you, Grace, is you're kind of the backstage person. And, you know, part of what we do when we go to New York is I've got a couple of friends. I've got one friend who's a lighting, uh, he's a lighting director on Broadway, and he did Jersey Boys for like 10 years. So anytime we went to New York, all I had to do was walk in the stage door of the August Wilson and say, is Brian Amon there? And they would mm. page him and he would come down and we've been friends forever. And he would take whoever I had with me up and he would give us a whole tour of the backstage where we could watch him do the before show prep. They had to like move every piece of scenery and they had to turn on every light to make sure everything worked well. So the behind the scenes stuff, I really liked too, because I was a backstage techie when I was a kid too, uh, when I was in that Young Performers Guild. So I love both sides of the stage. So uh, that's another thing we do a lot of. We, we definitely will take grace for sure to see Wicked. That's an experience that everyone I think in theater deserves to have is to see that show live because there's just something about it that, I don't know, it's special. I mean, it's been on Broadway for how long? Over 10, they had their 10-year anniversary a few years it ago. It opened so October of 2003, so they're coming up on their 20th anniversary in two years. 
the first time I saw Wicked, I let me tell you, let me tell you about a weekend that I went to New York. Uh, I had a business meeting, and the business meeting was at the Plaza Hotel. And uh, I went down three days before that with a friend of mine, my friend Jason, who you know, Michaela, who owns Edibles. Right. Uh, and he came with me because I had tickets to see The Boy From Oz, and it had just opened with Hugh Jackman, and Jason's from Australia. Mm. So he was all excited. So he came with me, and we drove down on a Friday afternoon. We saw a Little Shop of Horrors with um, Hunter Foster and Carrie Ellis on Friday night. It was the first time it was on Broadway. Oh my God. Uh, wow. And after that show, he had never been to New York with me. And uh, we went down to this bar called Splash in the village after the show. And when we went to get into the bar that night, the line was around the corner. You'll love this story. Uh, we get up to the front and they're just about not to let anybody else in. And somehow Jason talked our way in. And MTV was doing a special called Britney Spears in the zone and out all night. And she went to three different bars and did like three songs in each bar. And they let Jason and I into the bar, which was absolutely packed, push us to the back of the bar. And we were almost up on stage and they pushed us so that the aisle was clear. And like three minutes later, in comes Britney Spears with her backup dancers and she sings three songs and then leaves. That was Friday night. Uh, Saturday afternoon, we go to see Avenue Q, and Avenue Q had not opened yet. It was still in previews. And a good friend of mine, my friend Julie, was there with me. And you know Julie, and she knew everybody in the cast. So she took us backstage, mm -hmm. and I met John Tartaglia. I met Stephanie. I met everybody in the show, and I just, I was, I was in heaven, you know, hanging around with Julie. And then Saturday night, we went out to, uh, she asked me if we would go out to New Jersey and see a concert, and it was a concert version of Baby which was a musical from back in the early 80s. And it was about, I don't know if you're familiar with that musical, oh, but it's about three different women. Yeah, yeah, one's 20, one's 30, and one's 40. And they're all pregnant in a gynecologist's office. And it's just a great show. Mm -hmm. I sat next to Mulpey and Shire, who wrote the show. <laughs> and when we met Julie to go out to New Jersey, a woman named Sue Goodman and Michael Mackesee came with her. And Sue was in the original cast of Baby, and Michael is a cabaret piano player. And that was mm -hmm. the first night I met those two, and we became fierce friends forever. And Victoria Clark played the 40-year-old woman at the time. And I had driven everybody down to New York in a big, uh, a big uh, Chevy Avalanche. It was a big truck. And there was a party after the show. And I'm at the party and I get a tug on my shirt and I turn around and it's Victoria Clark. My God. <laughs> and I, so I got a little embarrassed and I'm like, you're Victoria Clark. And she goes, are you the guy from upstate New York with a big truck? And I'm like, I sure am. And she goes, I was supposed to meet some friends here that were supposed to come to the show and they didn't come. Would you mind giving me a ride back into the city when you go back in? So I said, uh, you're Victoria Clark. Unreal. Absolutely. So she hopped in the car and came back in with us. <laughs> and that was Saturday night. Then Sunday afternoon, we had the tickets for The Boy From Oz at the matinee. And then we went to see The Boy From Oz. And I, we had like, we were like the second row from the back of the theater. And um, we left the theater and it had just opened on Thursday night. And I think Sunday, they had taken Friday and Saturday off. And Sunday was the second show since it opened that we saw on Sunday afternoon. And after the show, we went outside and the backstage 
was kind of like it was for Beauty and the Beast with the barricades up and all these people were waiting to see Hugh Jackman. And we get almost in front of where the opening was. And I look up at the stage door and my friend Brian Amon, who is the lighting guy, is at the door. And I'm like, Brian. And he's like, Barney. That was my nickname they called me. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm I'm lighting this show. And he goes, you guys want to come in? And I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I was with my friend Jason and he invited us in and he started showing us the sets and the lights and everything. And then we're standing there on the stage. And then all of a sudden this guy walks by with a baseball cap on and it was Hugh Jackman. And I'm with my friend Jason, who's from Australia. Hugh Jackman's oh. from Australia. So Brian looks at us and goes, yeah, yeah, he's uh, uh, some friends of his are here from Australia and they're down there. As soon as they're done talking, I'll take you down and introduce you to them. So he took us down. We met Hugh Jackman. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, this story is almost over, but this goes into Monday. <laughs> Monday night, we went to the Jungle Room, which is where they had like an open mic night where all these performers would get up. Billy Stritch was playing the piano. And Sue Goodman got up and sang a song that she had done from a show back in the 80s. And she sang it for me because we had met. And I mean, I'm bawling my eyes out. Just I'm in heaven. And um, Bobby Lopez, who wrote uh, Frozen, he was there because they had just opened Avenue Q with the I can't remember the other guy's name that wrote Avenue Q with Bobby Lopez. But they were both there. We're talking to them like, you know, like we're in a bar just talking to them. And we had the absolute best time. Then my meetings happening with all these Chevrolet people, and I had bought tickets for the producers for my whole business group to see the producers. So Tuesday night, I had like 45 tickets for the producers for this group, and like 10 people didn't show up. So I'm giving tickets away to the producers, to everybody I know, and uh, on the street, and we saw the producers on, uh, on Tuesday night. And all during that weekend, I was trying to get a ticket for this new show that was coming out that I knew nothing about, but I wanted to see it. And it, I knew that Kristen Chenoweth was in it and she had starred in, she was in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, but this little unknown show was called Wicked. <laughs> and you couldn't get a ticket for it. And it was in previews and it was October of 2003. And I finally, on, uh, on one of the mornings that we were there, I went down to the Gershwin Theater. I got up every morning and went down, got in line. And finally, the Wednesday matinee after the Tuesday night when we saw the producers, I got four tickets for Wicked. And Jason and I went with Julie and with Michael, and we saw Wicked. Now, the first time I saw Wicked, I was so exhausted from that weekend, from Friday to Wednesday. I, I mean, I was so tired. I sat there. I fell asleep during the preview of Wicked. I'm sitting there and I'm so tired. I'm just dozing off. And then Adina Menzel hits that note at the end of the wizard and I, and I, I popped right up and I, and I looked and I'm like, wow, that was cool. And then I'm kind of watching it and I'm falling asleep and my head keeps bobbing. And then they get to the end of act one and defying gravity starts and it starts to pick up and then it goes <laughs> crazy. And I woke back up again and I'm like, holy crap, that was good. Oh. And then, uh, uh, and then I kind of slept through the second act. So <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the, the first time I saw Wicked, I really didn't like it. Oh, no. And then at Christmas time, the CD came out and I got the CD. And then I think I, I think I even opened it at your house at Christmas time, Michaela. And we played it at Christmas and then we became obsessed <laughs> with it. And, that, and that's all we talked about until we got, got the tickets the next Easter and went. And it was just, that was probably the longest weekend of the <laughs> craziest stuff I've ever done.
So anyway, sorry about that long story, but I love that story. No, we asked for the stories and the ones that have, you know, incredible meaning to you and that are your favorites. And I mean, that one, I don't think anyone can say that they have had like a six days like that of shows and meeting people. And like, that's what I love about you. You just like make these connections in the city and you have these like moments that people just don't have. And it's really incredible and really cool. And that weekend ended, or that week ended, on, I had to work Thursday morning and we're at the matinee of Wicked on Wednesday. And at intermission, Michael came up to me and Michael said to me, you're not going home yet. I get tickets for a show for us tonight. And I'm like, Michael, I have to work tomorrow. I cannot go to a show tonight. And um, he has a friend, his name's David Friedman. And David Friedman's a composer and he used to write for Nancy Lamont. And uh He's got a songbook that I've given to your mother, and, and he's a great songwriter, and he was doing a show. At, it's now 54 Below, but it used to be something different before it was 54 Below, and we ended up going to that show that night, and we ended up meeting David afterwards, and uh, then I drove home after that show at like 10 o'clock and got home at like 4 in the morning and got up and went to work on Thursday, and I think it took me about a month to recover. Be right back with more after this. Let's talk about why we're calling this Timeless Broadway. Let's talk about the history of theater and how you've lived through a lot of the history of Broadway and where it came from and where it's going. Give us like your thoughts on, you know, the earlier years when you started seeing shows and please tell the story of how you were in a show. We need that story. And give us like an idea of like, are you enjoying like where Broadway is going? Do you miss where it was? Like... Give us a window into that. I love where, well, first of all, I love, when I got into Broadway, I mean, obviously Carol Channing and Hello, Dolly was in the mid 60s. It was actually open the year I was born. Uh, but that era of musical theater, which they called the golden age, I mean, the, the shows are just, I mean, from, you know, from Pajama Game to Anything Goes to Gypsy to Hello, Dolly to Mame. I mean, you can just go into all those shows and I mean, they... They are timeless. I love revivals. I love when they revive a show like that. Another show I've seen probably 20 to 30 times is Cats. And a lot of the younger generation don't know about Cats or don't like Cats because uh, they don't understand Cats. But when Cats came out in 1982, I mean, it was the ticket on on Broadway. And I remember I didn't see it till a year into the run and Betty Buckley played Grizabella in the original company of Cats. And uh, I saw it the week that Betty Buckley left. And I didn't know it until I got in the Winter Garden and sat mm -hmm. down. And I was so angry because she wasn't there and, and her year was up. And I didn't know. We didn't have the internet back then. And I didn't read as much as I did. I just thought, I want to see Cats and I want to see Betty Buckley because she won the Tony. And I sat down and uh, I saw that she wasn't there anymore. And I looked at the program and her replacement was a woman named Lori Beachman. And I don't know if you know who Lori Beachman is, but there's a theater named after her in, in New York. She passed away from ovarian cancer, but she was the original narrator in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on mm -hmm. Broadway. And I absolutely loved her. And when I saw it was her, 
I was just like, and it was the first time I ever saw cats and I'm in the winter garden and I'm like, oh my God. So that was the first time that I really saw something that was different, that wasn't like the normal old, like Jerry Herman, you know, Broadway show or the Julie Stein or the people that wrote the shows during the golden age. And then Broadway kind of started to change in the eighties and we got different shows. Like it, it was like really the British invasion with Cameron Mackintosh coming over from London and we had cats, then we had Phantom of the Opera, then we had Les Miserables, and, you know, and then we got into the jukebox musicals. I mean, so I think Broadway's changed an awful lot in the last uh, 20 or 30 years, but the change has all been great for me. I just, I, I embrace it all, and I mean, my new favorite obsession is Dear Evan Hansen, mm -hmm. and, and, and I mean, a show like that uh, is just, I mean, number one, it's gut-wrenching. And number two, it's just it's just different. I mean, I, I I can't tell you how many different shows I've seen that I didn't think that I would like, and I just kind of stumble into them. I went to see Dear Evan Hansen by myself when I was down in New York on business, and I just bought a single ticket, sat up in the balcony, knew nothing about it, and uh, I just became absolutely obsessed. And I've seen that six times now and I have I actually have two tickets to see it in Buffalo and in Rochester but the tours were canceled so that will be seven and eight times so and that only opened like four years ago so I guess I um I love where Broadway's going and I just love that there's new composers there's new writers love Jason Robert Brown I've seen almost every show he's done and uh I mean, composer after composer. I mean, my favorite show of all time is Hello, Dolly, and I was a Jerry Herman freak. But, um, I mean, you get me going. I'll talk about Broadway till midnight tonight. Did that answer your question, Michaela? It did. I, I just really want you to talk about the show that you uh, starred in. Was that, that wasn't like your debut, but that was like your your pretty big professional debut, right? <laughs> you could call it a professional debut, but... Um, I was at a Empire State Pride Agenda dinner in Rochester, and um, that would have been 2006. And one of the auction items was a walk-on role in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. So I'm sitting there at the dinner, and I'm a I'm a car dealer, and I feel like a big shot. And they're they're having this auction, and they start to bid on this thing. And Jay Rodriguez, who was on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, was uh, was kind of the MC of this dinner in Rochester, New York. As he was auctioning off this item, it got up to like I, I'm I'm going to be embarrassed to tell you how much it was, but it got up to like almost two thousand dollars. And I'm bidding on the dinner, and then I get in a bidding war with this woman on the other side of the room. And we get up to like, God, we get up to like $3,500, and I stopped. I, I'm like, I can't, I can't spend anymore. And it's just me and her going back and forth. Well, Jay Rodriguez, and Jay Rodriguez in the middle of the auction said, I will meet you for drinks before the show in New York to try to get more money for this auction item. So then this woman really starts bidding up and we got up to like $3,500 and I stopped and Jay Rodriguez came down, jumped on my lap and he whispered in my ear, I do not want to go get drinks with this woman. Will you please keep bidding on this so that your table, bring them all down and we'll all go out for drinks oh in God. New York. So I kept bidding. The bidding got up to $5,100 and the woman finally stopped. 
So I paid $5,100 for this walk-on role in Spelling Bee. And I don't know if any of you have seen Spelling Bee, but they put they they pull three people out of the lobby before the show, and they put those people in the show, and they're part of the show. So what I bought was the, uh, it was myself and another, it was actually a 10-year-old boy from uh, London that got picked. So he and I stayed on, we were on stage for probably the first hour of the show through the spelling bee. And I'll never forget, I got picked by Barrett Foa, who was playing Coney Bear. So I had to sit next to him on the bleachers. And then they they told you exactly what <laughs> oh to do and they picked you up. But the fun part was, I knew what night I was going to go on. So I think that there was probably... There was probably 20 or 25 of my friends, including Michaela, her mother, her sister, and her father, and a bunch of my friends from Rochester. And we all went down and we sat in the audience and they pulled me out of the audience up on stage. And it was just, it was so much fun. And that's the only time I've been on Broadway. So that was my Broadway debut. And it was also my Broadway retirement, um, <laughs> at least as a Well, you now. never know. So, you never know. Uh, it could happen again. So... But we all, we, we all went down and we stayed together. And then I remember we, we saw a couple of other shows. And I remember that you're, I wanted you guys to see Hairspray because that had just mm-hmm. opened. So I got you and, uh, and Corinne and your mom and dad four tickets for Hairspray. And I remember you three, lo- the three girls loved yeah, it. And I remember hated your it, dad right? hated it. Um, but I was just glad that you guys saw it. Yeah. How many shows do you think you've seen total? Huh. Like, do you have a number? Um, no, I would have to say. I mean, it's it's definitely over two hundred. Oh no, it's over. 100. It's well over a thousand. I mean, I've. I mean, just Cats and Wicked alone is is almost seventy times. I mean, and I've seen and I see entertainers too. I love singers and. Uh, uh, I'm a huge Liza Minnelli fan. I've seen Liza Minnelli. Yeah, probably. you go to 54 below on the reg. Yeah, I've seen Liza 78 times live in concert. 78 times. <laughs> he loves Liza Minnelli. <laughs> um, I've seen Liza Barry Manilow probably just as many times too. And, That's so uh, cool. Um, you know, I've got a pretty wide taste of music, but it always comes right back to Broadway. If you put a Broadway singer in front of me, I mean, you put a Sutton Foster, you put a <laughs> Oh, you Oof. want a you want a good Sutton Foster story? Please, we're trying to get her on. I went to see well, Julie and Julie and Sutton are good friends. My friend Julie and Sutton. So we we go to see Young Frankenstein. It was Young Frankenstein was probably two thousand and six, and Sutton had just gotten married to Christian Borel. Mm. And uh, I was seeing Young Frankenstein in November, and Christian and Sutton got married the previous July, and Julie was supposed to go to the wedding, but she couldn't. So Julie comes to see Young Frankenstein with me. And of course, we go backstage to see Sutton after the show and they're talking and she introduces her to me. And uh, I I don't know if I should be saying this on a podcast, but they were already getting a divorce. And she kind of whispered into Julie's ear that, you know, it's almost over. So you didn't miss much. But it was just, you know, kind of being there and hearing that from Sutton live the first time I met her, I'm like, oh my God, you know, this is, uh, you know, I kind of get starstruck when I meet stars and I don't like to gawk at them. I don't like to get autographs. I just like to talk to them, you know, and just have like a, you know, I don't like to be a fan. Yeah. Cause they're humans first. Absolutely. They're humans. And you know, I, you know, you wait at the stage. Yeah. That's what I love about you. 
Yeah. Like all your connections and like why you've kept friends in the business and why you know so many famous people is because you've always, always treated them like humans first. And that's why they love you and like why Victoria Clark was like, take me home. (laughs) (laughs) You know? It's amazing. You instilled in my brain the idea of like the humbleness that you need to have around those type of people because they are humans and like the kind of actor that I want to be if like, you know, I ever make it that big and how I want to be treated and how I want to treat audience fans, you know? You've set a very good example. Well, I people should take I, I love the fact that I'm able to share it with, with you and with everybody else that's around. So Greg, do you have advice for artists since you know so many people that have made it? What advice do you have for people that are trying to make it? Well, you know what? I think it's really it's really difficult to say this, but I think that making it is all in the timing. I mean, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. I've seen so many people that are so good, like my friend Julie. I mean, my friend Julie's been in the business her whole life. And um, I mean, I'll have to say her age to tell you, but she got her first role in the first national tour of Come From Away when she was 45. Hmm. And that was, and I I remember I was in Calgary, Alberta, Mm -hmm. and I called her uh, just out of the blue. And she said, oh my God, do you have a quick minute to talk? And she told me that she had just gotten the contract and nobody knew and that she was going to go on the road for the first year with Come From Away. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she was 45 years old and she had been auditioning. I mean, she did a lot of stuff. She did, uh, but she never made it into like a big show until Come From Away when she turned 45. So, I mean, I would say never stop trying and just keep doing it and do everything that you can possibly do. You know, go to every club, sing in every open mic night, get out there and just try to get in front of, you know, anybody that you can. I, I mean, it's uh, it's timing, I think, and, and and being seen by the right person at the right time. I fully agree. Yeah, that's great advice. Because you're damn good, Michaela. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet. No, it's true. It, it really is. I thought you were going to say the four-letter word that I hate and that I heard my freshman year. And what was that? <sighs> There's two four-letter words. In my freshman seminar, uh, our department... Our head of our department said, looks and luck. Actually, it's a five-letter word and a four-letter word. Looks and luck. Which does have a lot to do with it. And, like, the timing is luck, you know? And, like, you can get lucky. Even if that is just, like... I think what's good advice and to take away from what you're saying, too, is the fact that, like, even getting gigs that aren't Broadway or national tours, I feel like is still making it and, like, still continue to try. Absolutely. And, like, celebrate those moments of while you're on the journey of, like, that off-Broadway show that you spent two weeks on that closed. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's about all of that. It's not just about the big title of, oh, I made my Broadway debut or I made my national tour debut. Like, it's everything. It's those moments. Uh, Even with, like, the small row chorus in the back. I don't know. Tree number five. Like... (laughs) You'll have your moment. Every Everyone started somewhere, too. Like, if you look at, you know, famous people's bios on Google, you'll see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you look at people like uh, Cheetah Rivera. I mean, she started in the chorus, you know, and she came up. And uh, uh, yeah. uh, let me tell you a quick Cheetah Rivera story. I was Please. I was visiting Michaela in Fredonia. Our queen. And 
and I was I I was there, and I had an extra ticket for Cheetah Rivera in Connecticut, and then we were going to see a play at the Goodspeed Opera House. It was a musical uh, called um, God. I can't remember what it was called, but it was about the early life of Judy Garland Chasing and, Rainbows? The, and Chasing Rainbows. Thank you. And so I had we had tickets for Cheetah Rivera in Connecticut, and then uh, tickets for Chasing Rainbows at the Goodspeed Opera House. And I said, I've got this extra ticket, Michaela. Do you want to come? And if you want to come, you've got to get in the car in like ten minutes and come with me. And Michaela's like, Mom, what do I do? What do I do? And it took us about five minutes to decide. And and Michaela got in the car, and we went to the Ridgefield Playhouse the next night, and we saw Cheetah Rivera. And it's a small theater just north of New York City. And Cheetah gave a concert like you wouldn't believe. It was just her and her band, probably like a 10-piece band. And it was an absolutely amazing concert. And we're in the second or third row on the right. And then after the show, we're just standing there waiting. And all of a sudden, all these people are going back. And she walks out to greet this group of people that were right outside the door. And she sat in the front row for about 15 minutes and said hello to everybody. And Michaela, I will never forget it. I took a picture of it. It's on my Facebook page. Michaela got in front of Cheetah and you had just played Rosie in Bye Bye Birdie in your, when mm. you were a senior in high school and you're in front of Cheetah, who was the original Rosie. And I, I'm gonna, I almost cry when I think about it because it, it was so powerful <laughs> just to watch you standing in front of her. And do you remember what Cheetah said to you when you asked her you know, how to make it? Do remember what she said? Yep. I'll never forget it. She said, be ready and work hard. Be ready and work hard. And she said it so genuinely. I got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, that makes me happy. Yeah. I've had some of my most incredible moments in theater because of you by far. And I just love the fact that we're talking about this and you've seen people flourish. You've seen all of these stars like get their moment, which is honestly like so cool and I don't feel like a lot of people can say like you've watched them be tree number five and go into like you know Rosie and Bye Bye Birdie and these like huge roles and now they're these staples in theater like these these actors and like tech people and these composers you've seen them grow and flourish I feel like not a lot of people can say that and that's like that's really cool to note do you want one more quick Sutton story sure (laughs) when she was doing Thoroughly Modern Millie Mm. It was the it was the first year it was on. There was a musician strike on Broadway, and um, Uncle Jimmy might know, uh, uh, might remember that. But all the all the musicians went on strike, and Broadway was shut down for like a whole entire weekend. I think they went on strike on Friday, so there were no musicians in the pit. And a friend of mine from Fredonia that was actually in Alumni Hall, where your dad was a dorm director, he worked for a company in Greenwich Village, and they. I'm going to try to explain this right. They did the orchestrations for Broadway shows and they uh, they had a company that enhanced the pit and they and they sold the software to like high schools. And um, so they could, someone could play the music and then the kids could play along with it in the pit. They could um, orchestrate the whole entire show. So when this, when this musician strike happened, Joe went in with Sutton Foster during uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie and he rehearsed her all weekend long. And if the strike hadn't ended on Tuesday night, they were gonna open Thoroughly Modern Millie with this software. 
And then somehow, like on Monday afternoon or Monday night, they settled the strike and the musicians came back. But um, uh, I was down there in the studio right before he went over to the Marriott Marquis to rehearse with Sutton and uh, and get the show ready to go up without an orchestra. It was it was pretty. I mean, you, you never want to see musicians not work, but uh, hmm. you know, Broadway shuts down for a weekend and it was huge. And now look at what's happened. It's been shut down for over a year. And I mean, it's just devastating to, you know, to think about all the out of work people and, and what's going on right now. I can, I will be the first one in the first seat, the first night they reopen Broadway. I don't care where I am. I'm just going to go. I don't care what the show is, whatever show they open first, I'm there. I'll mask up and I'll sit there and I'll have my vaccination card and I'm there. What, what is one of your favorite stories of encounters that you've had with like a, you know, lighting designer or like a costume designers and as well as like, what is your advice for them for making it and, you know, how to cope during this time as well? Cause we have so many people out of work backstage too. do as much as you can. Um, the, I mean, get involved in anything you can get involved in community theater, get involved with a local professional theater just do as much as you can, you know, uh, just try to, I, I think if you start out volunteering and then you, and then if you can get a paying job, I mean, go to school for it. I mean, if you can go to school for it, that would be, that would be great. Um, that first time I saw Cats when Betty Buckley was replaced by Lori Beachman, they used to let you up on stage during the, during the intermission. You could walk up on stage and you could, an old Deuteronomy sat on the tire my friends and I that I was there with were up on stage and there was a costume guy that was in one of the exits. And he goes, do you guys want to see backstage? And this was during intermission. And I looked at him and I'm like, heck yes. <laughs> and he, he took us backstage and he showed us the dressing rooms and a couple of the cats were getting their makeup on for the second act. And he kind of gave us just a little mini backstage tour. And he was just the, he was one of the dressers that was backstage. And uh, I mean, it's... Oof. It's, uh, I think the more you can go see, the more you can, um, the more you can do. I saw the color purple with, uh, Cynthia Arrivo, Chris Garnish and I went and we were, uh, we were sitting and we had house seats and we were, we bought them the day we went there and I was sitting next to a woman and she started talking to me before the show and during intermission, she was the costume designer for the show. And I was sitting next to her and uh, she had just done something with one of the dresses and she started to talk to me about one of Jennifer Hudson's uh, dresses that she was wearing in the second act and they had just, you know, fixed it. And it was, it, the show had just opened, but they had, uh, uh, I guess the dress wasn't fitting right or something wasn't happening. And it was just so interesting to talk to her. And I mean, I don't know how that happens. I mean, I'm just sitting there and I'm sitting next to the costume lady. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I just. This happens to you all the time. <laughs> and it's just because I go see everything. You have like the craziest <laughs> luck. No, but you're also approachable and you love, you just love the theater. And like people can see it and like smell it and feel it. And you're just like, I don't know. I feel like it's. It's like right place, right time for you, but it's intentional for you too. Like the universe puts you there because like, I don't know, you're meant for some reason you're meant to like meet the freaking costume designer of the color purple, you know? I went and researched her when I got back and she was the real deal. She wasn't telling me a story. <laughs> it was, it was really her. She was, yeah, it was really her. So anyway. So I'm sure the answer is going to be every show you can possibly go to. But if somebody had 
the opportunity to only see five shows ever, what would be the shows that you would suggest them seeing? Oh, boy. Um, I would. Yeah, that's rough for him. Uh, no, no, that's Good luck. Uh, that's a fair question. <laughs> you know, people people ask me that. I mean, my favorite show is Hello Dolly. I think it's uh, and the revival of Hello Dolly was probably the tightest best show, and I mm. don't know why they closed it. Ugh, I, I agree. mean, they could have just replaced Bette Midler with Bernadette Peters with Audra McDonald. I can oh, yes. I can go down a list of people that could have played Dolly, and uh, Michaela was lucky enough to see Bernadette Peters, and uh, that was her graduation present weekend. So and good. Um, uh, so Hello Dolly, um, I would say you got to see Wicked. I mean, Wicked is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's required reading. It's required seeing. I mean, it's just, I mean, that show is going to run a long time. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite shows that I, well, one of the first shows I went to see on tour that I absolutely love is a chorus line. I mean, a core, I mean, you want to talk about dancers, you know, mm -hmm. trying to make it dancing. I mean, a chorus line is, uh, is a show that you must see. Oh boy. I got to pick two more, Grace. Mm-hmm. Two more. Okay. Two more. Um, well, let's get a little more modern. I think you want to go see, uh, you got to see Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, it'll rip your heart out. And it's such a cool show in the way they bring social media into it. And, you know, and um, issues that, you know, that kids are dealing with nowadays. It's just a, it's just an awesome show. And Michael Park, the actor who played uh, Connor Murphy's father, is from Canandaigua, New York, the town next to where I am. Oh, and wow. he's an absolute great, approachable mm -hmm. guy. One of my best friends was really close friends with him and used to teach with his mother. And uh, they took a school group down from Rochester and Michael came out with half the cast and met with all the kids, you know, on their senior trip to see a bunch of shows. So Dear Evan Hansen is a great show. And um, let me pick a play. Mm. Because it's it can't all be about, well, no, it is It is all about musicals. But if I had to pick a play, <laughs> um, I think that uh, I saw To Kill a Mockingbird mm. um, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was the summer before Broadway shut down. And I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird was so good. Is that a good five, Grace? That's a beautiful five. So I said, hello, Dolly, Wicked, Chorus Line, Dear Evan Hansen, and To Kill a Mockingbird. Boom. Mic drop. Boom. Everyone go see him now. Well, Boom. when <laughs> when theater is back, because it will be back. No, theater will be back. back. And you know what? Theater yeah. is going to come back stronger and better than ever. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really think that, I mean, yeah, we're going to have some adjustment issues, but um, uh, from the business side of theater, um, a theater cannot... A theater cannot sustain a show at at fifty percent occupancy. The numbers just don't work. So until we can fill a theater, I think Broadway is going to have a hard time opening. I think it's going to have to be something where uh, everybody's masked, everybody's vaccinated, and people are going to have to sit next to each other. I, the social distancing in a Broadway theater is going to be really difficult. And they're old theaters. Um, I mean, you know how they pack them in there. Oh, yeah. They're packed. And to be quite honest, the joy of theater is being packed in with all those people. And, I mean, when I saw mm -hmm. Bette Midler and Hello, Dolly, uh, the the energy in that audience on Saturday night when I saw that show could have mm -hmm. lit half a Times Square. I mean, just the people and the excitement mm -hmm. in that theater before that show started and when that overture started, I mean, just could... Uh, 
Um, it could have powered the whole island of Manhattan. Oh, another show you've got to see is Something Rotten. I, I mean, Something Rotten is just the mm. best show in the world. When I saw Something Rotten and they did It's a Musical at the St. James Theater, that song blew the roof off the place. And I remember in the middle of the first act, half of the orchestra just standing up and jumping out of their seats. I mean, that's what Broadway is. Something Rotten was one of the shows that I was supposed to be working on um, at Playhouse on the Square and one of the ones that got canceled because of COVID. So like we were truly just about to start the builds when everything shut down. Well, hopefully they can... Uh, they can resurrect that show as soon as it as soon as it happens because or as soon as it gets yeah. back to normal because what a fun that show that one will sell what for a fun sure. show what a great costume show that is I mean because it's all the Renaissance period and you would have yeah. what a what a great time and it's like heightened reality Renaissance because it's kind of ridiculous so you get to like play with a lot of color and fun in that show also there's like eggs that come on stage yeah so that's something you have to figure out uh, no the exit that's that's a great i saw something rotten four times on broadway and twice on tour and we're actually doing something rotten this summer i'm on the board of a of a theater in rochester the jewish community center and we're building an outdoor venue on the tennis court so that we can try to have some shows and uh something rotten's the musical oh, wow. that we're going to do i hope they've announced it and that nobody listens to this podcast, and I just uh, <laughs> I just blew it. But um, we had a board meeting last week, and that's the show. Okay, so our last question for you is, do you have movies, books, podcasts, any kind of suggestion of any kind of entertainment when we can't go physically see theater right now for the audience to go watch to get some new stuff going? Get their going. theater fix. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am a, I have every DVD and every, I mean, there's so many, I mean, there's oh, yes, Broadway do. HD is a great channel. I've been streaming a lot of stuff. I would try to look for anything you can there, uh, but there's been a lot of great streaming stuff and it seems like they're releasing a ton of stuff that they wouldn't normally release because people are just yearning for theater. So I would, uh, I would just, you know, get on playbill.com is probably my favorite website. And I read playbill.com every single day. And I mean, if you want to see what's, you know, what's happening on a day by day basis, there isn't a lot happening right now, but they update a thing once a week with all the streaming stuff that's out there. And there's a lot of good Mm -hmm. stuff that you can watch and that you can see. And people are starting to slowly do things. Some theaters I'm going to see, um, I'm going to see a show uh, in, um, it's actually, it's mm-hmm. a uh, it's a real famous drag queen is coming to a new theater in Rochester. They're doing a couple of, of smaller shows and I'm just going to go in and see how they do it. I mean, they're going to be socially distanced and um, uh, we're only allowed to have 70 people under this tent that we're building this summer and then people can sit outside the tent. But um, just try to get out there and see what you can see. And if you're comfortable going to see something, you know, get into a theater and see it. Uh, it's going to need all the support it can get when it opens back up. And um, I'm going to be one of the leaders. Has it been an hour already? This time just flew by. I can't. What a treat. Yeah, what, what great stories. Well, Thank I don't even so know much. what a podcast is until you sent me the links for This yours. is an exciting one. I'm excited that I've been on one now. I can say <laughs> now I'm going to have to learn how to use it and do it. We could truly be here all day. 
We're, we're just going to have to call. All right. All right, Grace, run us through the social media for our listeners. How can they find us? All right, everybody. Please follow us on Instagram at Dressing Room Talk Pod or find us on Facebook at Dressing Room Talk Podcast. Shoot us an email at dressingroomtalk at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Or let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. We're happy to do what you guys want us to do. <laughs> Michaela, what's our website? Puddledropmedia.com slash dressing room talk. You can go on there and listen to our episodes. And you can also find us on 13 platforms, including Pandora, which I think we talked about last week. But I'm going to remind you again, because if you're a Pandora fan, hop on in and listen to us there. We are very, very easy to find. A big shout out and thank you to our producer, editor, Mr. James Lasher. Yay, Uncle Jimmy. Head of Puddle Drop Media. Reach out to us via Instagram. We're at Michaela underscore Chimuda and at Grace M. Wiley on Instagram. You can message us personally. I mean, Uncle Greg will totally be your friend if you like shoot him a friend request or follow on Instagram. So totally do it and like follow his journey back to Broadway. I feel like you need like an Instagram <laughs> series now that's like hashtag back to Broadway with Greg B. I don't know. I think we should do that together. And we can like see all your pictures. and Absolutely. Oh, you, you I'm, all <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. I'm all I'm all in. Just tell me where to be and when to be there. Well, all um, right. What a great day. Are you ready to send us off, Greg? Thank you, ladies. You do a fabulous job, and I love listening to you. And this has been an absolute pleasure. Same here. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much Thank for you coming so on. Much. Good luck, you girls. And I'm Greg. I'm Michaela. And I'm Grace. And, and this, this is, is dressing room talk. talk.